0: The year is 2034. The place, Tucson, Arizona. The time, about 4.30 in the morning. It's a coffee shop on the outskirts of town, not far from the transit station. Some people are lingering and waiting for the transit station to open, drinking coffee or tea, and looking outside at the incoming storm. Flashes of lightning illuminating the horizon. Above the clouds, the scintillating irradiation ever cascading across the sky in enormous, fast-moving arcs. This would normally be terrifying, but for these people, they're used to it. After the Ultra War, humanity lost contact with Europe and Asia, Africa, even South America not clear if there are any other survivors than those found in North America. Inside the coffee shop, it's warm, and the rounded walls are obscured by tapestries and little flowers on shelves, and the girl at the counter bustles around, waiting for the next customer to step up. Into the coffee shop comes a beautiful young girl, probably about the age of 18. She's wearing a red and white polka dot dress, which is unusual because in these days, most people wear their silver bodysuits to protect them from radiation and possible acid rain. She pulls her suitcase behind her with a little bit of effort and makes her way to the counter. As she steps through the door, she looks with trepidation over her shoulder at the lightning flashes, knowing that the incoming storm is going to be a harsh one. Behind her steps in a handsome, chiseled young man with a gleaming, Smile, and a gait that suggests he's a man of great self-confidence. He looks around the room and he notices the other patrons take a glance at him. There's a large, burly woman carrying a broadsword on her back what looks like a medical kit at her belt. At the counter, there's another young man who's taking off his helmet and glancing around. The burly woman's name is Brunhilde IV. The young man at the bar, his name is Jacob. The girl's name is Linda. She's making her way over to order a cup of coffee. The chiseled young man who just stepped in is named Pita. And he walks to the bar and asks the girl if she'd like a cup of coffee. She asks if he's buying, he says, sure. She asks what his name is. He says, Peta. She introduces herself as Linda. An android that's been sitting on the far side of the room steps forward, but asks the young woman, what does she think? would be the best way to serve man. She raises an eyebrow and looks at the android and asks him why he asked that. He says his mission is to serve man, and he's looking for data on how to best do so. She fobs him off and says... She'll think about it. He asks her how long. She says, hmm, 20 minutes. And the android, whose name is Lexi, continues on to all the other patrons, even the cook in the back room, and asks them all the same question. They all give him various answers, none of which seem to help very much, but... Lexi's not troubled by this. He's just collecting data. Across the street, PETA notices that the lights of the transit station are turning on. And they all get their gear together and trundle out and dash across the street as the storm is just started lightning and thunder are severe the rain comes pelting down Linda's already changed while she was in the coffee shop into her silver bodysuit and they all get on the jump jet pay their fare the pilot announces that the ride is likely to be rough and they should hang on and they look at the scenery as they jet forward through the round porthole windows extra tinted rain streaks off of them as they fly about 100 yards up over the land, and occasionally the ship lands when it's being buffeted too heavily by the winds. Temporarily. Then it leaps up again and flies on. There's a little conversation in the cabin, but they get the impression that the storm will end soon, and sure enough, they come out from under. In a little while, they land at another station, out in the desert. Some of the passengers get off and head towards the spaceport, to the north. Others wait for the military transport. When the military transport arrives, it's a sleeker military-style jump jet. The pilot's cabin is separated from the main cabin. They get in and it flies off. And they are introduced to Lieutenant Brisbane through a radio comm where he explains to them that they are on their way to Kit Peak Space Observatory where they will go through medical examination and if they are found fit they will be inducted into Federation Command Special Force which they've all been accepted into. They are recruits. Lieutenant Brisbane explains that they will be observed as they are asked to select among one of three missions for which they will only be given the code names. Brisbane tells them that the code names are Operation Black Wind, Operation Silver Eye, and Operation Iron Sand. They have about an hour before they will arrive at Kid Peak and by then they should have made their decision. Brisbane explains that they will be observed making this decision and that they should use their intelligence and their intuition and that Brisbane is looking for leadership skills This is their first assignment. They debate about it. One of the members, Peta, is a mentarian, kind of psychic explorer. And he uses his power of instant insight Kind of quantum consciousness that allows him to instantly know the answer to complex questions. And he derives the solution that the most important of the three missions is Operation Silver Eye. One of the other members, who also happens to be a Mentarian, senses that this is also The correct answer. Lexi, on the other hand, doesn't understand the concept of quantum consciousness and disputes it, and disputes this as the answer and recommends that they choose randomly. Brunhilde, the fourth, says that she prefers to think about the black wind but is willing to go along with the group consensus. They ask Linda who's sitting there and she agrees Operation Silver Eye sounds about right. A yellow beacon signal shows up on one of the visiports. It is someone in trouble out in the desert. They fly to go and help this person exit the cabin and find a man laying against a tree with his rocket bike up in the tree, probably blown away by the wind. Seems to be wounded and he's got a cut on his head. They take him back to the ship while PETA stands outside along with Linda, looking around with their Lewiston beam pistols drawn in case there's any kind of trouble. Lexi carries the man, and when he gets to the cabin, the man struggles a bit against Lexi's grip and lobs a pepper grenade into the cabin after the other members have entered in. Except for Pita, who's still outside. The pepper grenade goes off. The guy escapes from Lexi's grip, leaps behind a rock as Peter tries to shoot at him. They dash into the cabin as a swarm of boar beetles are bearing down on them from the north. They fly off as the man who they were attacked by leaps over into another ravine where, as they're flying off, they use the visiplates to see that there were other brigands out there with rocket bikes. They fly away as the brigands curse each other for a fouled-up mission. They arrive at Kitt Peak Space Observatory and are greeted by Lieutenant Brisbane, who welcomes them and his daughter, Linda Brisbane. They are taken to the facility where the medical offices are and are given their routine medical inspections, examinations, and paperwork. The office is in a very old building, green and white linoleum, fluorescent lights. The optometrist asks them questions about whether or not they have any known diseases, or is there any reason why they should not be accepted into Special Force? And they all answer, "There's." No reason that they know of. A few strange sentences are said. The light shall emit from your eye. Strikes PETA as odd, but he doesn't seem to get any information out of the doctor as to what he meant by that. Jacobs also puzzled by a statement of that kind. But they pass over it, and they all pass the medical exam, and Lieutenant Brisbane arrives and asks them if they're all willing to join Special Force and proceed with the induction ceremony. They all agree, and they go to another hall, an elegant hall. There are members of Federation Special Force presiding over the ceremony. And they all swear allegiance to Federation Command and to do their utmost to help and aid civilization and bring it back to prosperity. They announce that they've selected Operation Silver Eye and are told that they have 24 hours to get themselves ready because they are on their way to a very important mission to the moon. Brisbane explains that the information that they are expected to collect on the moon is of vital importance to civilization. They all look at each other with determination and earnest sincerity to complete their missions to the best of their ability. And that's where we stopped for that evening.